Easter is more than just a single day. Traditionally, Easter is a 50-day season. And so over the next six weeks, we will be exploring the implications of the resurrection of Christ as articulated by the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter 1 says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection is the means by which we are born again. And so the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to instruct the church concerning their manner of living in the world, having been born again through the resurrection. We are the the born-again community of the risen Christ, and we are called to live accordingly. And so Peter is going to talk about uh, growing in holiness and Christian maturity. He's going to talk about submitting to authorities, cultivating distinctly Christian marriages, and remaining faithful when persecuted. But all of that is in the weeks to come. Because in our passage today, Peter just begins by laying a foundation for all of these things. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter, begin, Peter begins by blessing God. He blesses the Father because the Father has begotten us by raising up his Son from the dead. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When modern American Christians talk about being born again, it's usually within the context of having a a personal experience. We are told that we all need to have a born-again experience. But notice how Peter talks about new birth. For Peter, being born again is not an individual experience. For Peter, the new birth is rooted in a historical event. For Peter, being born again is a matter of partaking of the resurrection of Christ, a past event. How do we partake in the resurrection? According to the Apostle Paul, it has something to do with baptism. This is Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus." The resurrection of Christ has brought about new life, new birth. And all baptized members of the church who believe in the resurrection are to regard themselves as born again. Paul says that we must consider ourselves as having passed through death with Jesus and having risen to new life 
with Jesus. We are to regard ourselves as those who have been brought from death to life. So the resurrection of Christ was was the rebirth of Christ in a sense, but the resurrection of Christ was also the rebirth of the people of God. And, And Peter says that we who are born again are born again to a living hope. What is a living hope? To put it simply, this this living hope is the new inheritance we are promised as those who have been reborn into the family of God. We have become God's children and we anticipate a divine inheritance from our Heavenly Father. But before we talk about that inheritance, I, I just want to point out We have been born again, past tense, into a living hope, present tense, in a coming inheritance, future tense. So so we have hope in the present because our future is anchored in the past. Our future victory is already secure because Jesus has already won the battle on the cross. And, And that means that our present hope is a living hope It is a perennial hope. Our our living hope is not wishful thinking. It's as sure and certain as the resurrection of Christ happened in the past. So not only have we been begotten of God, not only have we received new birth, not only do we have this living hope, we also anticipate this coming inheritance. Peter says it's an imperishable, undefiled unfading inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. With these three words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Peter is making an allusion back to the Old Testament. He is saying that the inheritance promised to us is comparable to the inheritance promised to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was promised the land of Canaan, and this was referred to as their inheritance. However, That land was perishable and conquerable. That land could be defiled by idolatry or bloodshed or neglecting the poor. And the glory of that land could fade. In other words, the inheritance promised in the Old Testament was not imperishable, not undefiled, not unfading. But now, through the resurrection of Christ, God's people have been born again to a new inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. How? Because our inheritance is not kept on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Our inheritance is kept in heaven. In other words, our inheritance is already a heavenly reality, We don't experience that reality fully in the present, but again, that future reality is as fixed as the past. But remember, and and this is is very important, the goal of the Christian life is not to get to heaven so that we can get our inheritance. The goal of the Christian life is to bring that inheritance down to the earth. Our living hope is not to get to heaven. Our living hope is that our inheritance, which is currently kept in heaven, will one day descend to the earth. 
on earth as it is in heaven. It, it will become an earthly reality. N.T. Wright puts it this way. God has, through the resurrection of Christ, created a whole new world. At the moment, it is being kept safe, out of sight, behind the thin, invisible curtain which separates our world, earth, from God's world, heaven. But one day, the curtain will be drawn back, and then the incorruptible inheritance, at present being kept safe in heaven, will be merged with our earthly reality, transforming it and soaking it through with God's presence, love, and mercy. This is what the Apostle John describes in the book of Revelation as the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which descends from heaven to the earth. What Peter refers to as an inheritance, John refers to as a holy city. Both are currently heavenly realities, and we long for the day when heaven will come down to earth. So Peter says, we have been born again to a new kingdom and to a living hope, a perennial hope, that the earth will one day be fully heavenized. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, in this, in this new birth, in this living hope, in this fixed inheritance, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is, test, gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness, they were sustained by the promise of a future inheritance. God had promised to give them the land. It was only a matter of time. And Peter says that we are in a similar position. Like the people of Israel in the wilderness, Peter refers to his audience as aliens and pilgrims, strangers, sojourners. The church may wander through the wilderness of this world. We may suffer. We may undergo a period of testing. We may wonder what God is doing, what he's waiting for. But we endure all of that with a living hope in a promised inheritance. It's gonna happen. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In short, what the Old Testament prophets longed to see and what even angels in heaven long to see we take for granted on a daily basis. Peter is talking about the great privilege of living in this age. He's talking about the great privilege of living anno domini, 
the great privilege of living AD as opposed to BC. We take these things for granted. Our new birth, our living hope, our glorious inheritance. But the prophets understood the significance of what was coming. And the angels simply cannot get over how wonderful it is. They jockey around in heaven just to get a glimpse of our everyday reality. If that sounds strange to us, it simply means that we are underestimating the glory and the power of the resurrection of Christ. As we discussed last week, we we are underestimating the cosmic scope of the resurrection of Christ. No single sermon is going to fix that. Um, But I do think we should take it as a challenge. Take this as a challenge. What are we missing? If the prophets longed for this and, and angels can't get over it, what are we missing? What aspects of the resurrection or or what features of the gospel have we failed to fully appreciate? What can we do to develop in ourselves the perspective of the prophets or the perspective of the angels concerning the salvation we have been given? These questions are going to drive us deeper into the scriptures, deeper into community, deeper into the way that Jesus has taught us to live. But I want to be careful there because we're 12 verses into 1 Peter and we haven't been told to do anything yet. There are no imperatives or commands within these opening verses. And so I'm not going to try to invent some sort of application for us this week. The application today is simply to believe, to rejoice, to worship to regard yourself as having passed from death to life. There's nothing to be done today. We have only to acknowledge our most fundamental identity as those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Until we have that that foundational confidence, we're really not ready to move on to Peter's ethical instructions because our manner of living must be rooted in the resurrection. So I, I invite you, take, take the next seven days to rejoice, to ponder, to, to bolster your hope and confidence in a victory that has already been won and a work that has already been completed for you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have begotten us again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It is good to belong to your family. Jesus, we thank you for um, not keeping your inheritance to yourself. We thank you for sharing your inheritance with us. You are yourself our living hope. Holy Spirit, show us what we're missing Give us the perspective of the prophets and the angels toward our salvation and the new world that you have opened up to us. And help us to believe and to consider ourselves as having passed from death to life.
in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.